unfiltered, uncensored, and unapologetic. This is the Retail War Zone Podcast. Tonight, we have with us Adam Ryan. Were you the, the creator of Target Workers United, Adam? Uh, yeah, I'd say co-founder. I, I don't feel like I can t- say I take all credit, but I definitely played played a integral role. Gotcha. Um, if you if you guys see on the screen, we've got their Twitter handle there at TGT Workers Unite, and then we also have their website targetworkersunite.com. So, Adam, thanks for being here tonight. So, what I'd like to do is, you know, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and what got you interested in labor inequalities and organizing. Yeah. Um Born and raised in this area that I'm in now, New River Valley, um, which is comprised of about four counties and a few small towns, two big colleges. Virginia Tech is probably the most well-known uh, feature around here. Um, but yeah, um, in terms of how I got into labor organizing and, and stuff like that, um, I didn't really start to think about thinking about like organizing um until maybe 2011 or so like around there and um actually got involved with a newly chartered uh, industrial workers of the world um chapter established in richmond virginia and um they're um kind of a lesser known union these days um they have a very like rich history, very radical history, um, very like explicitly anti-capitalist, um, and many great historical figures have come through there. Who've done some pretty heroic labor actions and strikes, fighting issues like you know segregation, uh, equality uh, between you know workers, men workers, and women workers, um, you know immigrant workers and uh, non-immigrant workers um, they were on the forefront of, of fighting all these these different types of discrimination um, that a lot of the unions at the time were actually uh, enforcing and being against um, so the IWW still has that that very strong um, history and anyways I got involved with them I uh, went through an organizer training that they, they have, which is really good. Uh, I always like to tell people it's the best in the country if you're trying to figure out how to be a worker and organize as a worker. Um, and I've gone to other, like, you know, organizer trainings with it, uh, other, like, more well-funded, well-known uh, mainstream unions. Um, and I still would say, you know, IWW has best training. Um, and they do them online now, so if, if you're, you know, wanting to get that you can you can do it from your home uh probably need to be a member though unless you might be involved with some organizing independent organizing uh, effort right now um sometimes the iww will help uh do this for free for certain campaigns and stuff so you got involved Um, in this before you actually worked for target correct yeah yeah you know that was that was um kind of my first you know, um, foray in in the labor organizing labor, the idea of organizing at the job and stuff like that. Um, I didn't start at target until 2017. There was a bunch of, uh, I had a bunch of of different experiences trying to organize on my own, uh, at different workplaces in Richmond and outside of Richmond. Um, but I, I picked target back in 2017 because I had recently come back to my hometown after living in Richmond for a while and organizing there um, and started up an organizing project in my hometown. Um, And that was a result of just doing some canvassing and door knocking and uh, the trailer parks around here, talking to workers here about what issues were going on and uh, came up that the local boss at our local target was known to be uh, like an abusive boss, uh, um, creating a hostile work environment, like sexually harassing women workers, uh, making racist comments, um, pretty much everything target, like as a company claims to be against. Um, so I thought that would be a good opportunity to go 
and organize workers to hold this guy accountable. Um, the workers at that store had tried to in the past, you know, Target, like many other companies, have, have their own like internal HR channels they want you to go through to uh, try to address these issues, even though a lot of times the the procedure that they want you to go through really is just a way to uh, expose yourself and put yourself out there to get, um, you know, retaliated against by the company. Um, and that's what had happened to other workers who had tried to go through that process to hold this boss accountable. Uh, so we felt it was necessary to escalate to a strike action. Um, and so then I went and got a job there to SALT, which is like a term used to describe um, where you're like an organizer going to work at a particular place to organize at. Um, and so did that. And then in four months, we did a small strike action to hold that guy accountable. Uh, and we were successful in finally triggering an internal investigation within Target, got a lot of uh, media, media publicity, uh, a lot of community groups to support us. Um, and we didn't get confirmation he was actually fired or removed from our store until maybe a month after that week that we went on strike. But we knew by the second day, once they removed him, pending the investigation, they probably weren't going to bring him back. It uh, wasn't going to look good. You know, we had gathered at least a dozen testimonies of current and past workers of various experiences that they had had with this guy, um, you know, like inappropriately touching them or making comments. Wow. And, um, so yeah, that's, that's, that, that's what started it. Um, it was very localized and very specific to that store in our area. Uh, there was no like kind of, uh, plan or intention to build out a larger national target worker organizing campaign that it just sort of organically grew from the first action in our store, uh, and then snowballed into doing uh, similar actions at other stores up the East Coast. We actually had workers at a Baltimore store specifically call me at my store trying to find me because they, they heard about what we had done at our store um, and wanted help doing something similar at theirs. So then I you know, collaborated with those workers at that store in Baltimore to do the same thing. And then um, there was actually another store in Baltimore that heard about that action and then we did the same thing there uh and, and so it just kind of snowballed from uh store specific actions to um largely go against abusive bosses uh but we've been trying to push for larger demands and and um agitate for larger uh demands but that requires a deeper level of organization uh more resources and capacity than what we currently have and, and so we're you know we want to make that transition into a more uh, larger national um, organization that has the capacity to actually press target on some of these like larger demands around things, you know, like healthcare and um, paid vacation and maternity leave and um, some of these things that, you know, target, like they're not legally obligated to have to provide any of, but um, if we were organized and able to flex our power enough, could, uh, you know, force them to make concessions on, on those kinds of a demand. Um, so that's kind of where we're at. Uh, still pretty small, informal uh, network of target workers, um, but we are target workers who are doing this. It's not, um, you know, there's no nonprofit behind this funding anything that we're doing. Um, sort of try to collaborate with one prior to Target Workers Unite going public, and it was just... Uh, headache the whole time they had very different ideas and intentions of what we wanted to do and ultimately having to split from them uh and that's when we you know announced target workers unite as a, a national organizing effort you know we wanted to announce that we were an independent formation you know that we could do this ourselves as target workers we didn't need a uh Nonprofit with connections to Ford Foundation and Soros and, and all the big names of uh, philanthropy to, you know, uh, fund and, and drive an organizing effort through Target. Well, you know, uh, I got to say, so yours, you know, TWU is basically a, a grassroots from the ground up thing that you guys have got going on because like you said you broke off from an existing entity so you're i'm assuming any kind of funding or anything like that you guys are all footing the bill yourselves just for the purpose of change correct 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, everything that we've been uh, doing has been coming out of our own wages that we get at Target, you know. And then uh, we'll do fundraisers and fundraising, and, and there's a lot of people out there who support what we're doing, and we'll be generous enough to pitch in some money um, to help, you know, us to keep going. Um, usually when there's, like, some sort of an action, strike action happening, and we do a, you know, like, some sort of a GoFundMe thing, there's a lot of energy and support for that sort of stuff. So it's pretty easy to, to raise funds. Um, we've never, you know, organized a strike where say like a hundred workers at a store, um, all went out on strike and, and maintained the picket line for like a week. Um, we've had, you know, like a dozen workers, um, you know, stage a strike action and, and maintain the picket line in front of the store entrances and, um, you know, it's, it's not like a huge impressive number, but it does have an impact. And, um, just having workers near the store entrances, um, making their case to the customers, uh, you can see how it has an impact on the, you know, you just see the faces of the customers. They're not used to, uh, retail workers confronting them about these sorts of issues. Uh, when we first did it at my store, you know, a lot of them even went to try to go complain to management about us, you know, to like try to report us, get us in trouble. But they don't realize, like, you know, under the National Labor Relations Act, that sort of activity is protected. You know, like there's a line. You can't like harass people. You can't uh, physically like disrupt them from getting into the store. But, you know, you can be near the store entrance. You can have signs. You can chant. You can uh, hand out leaflets. You can talk to people and engage them, make your case, tell them why they should, you know, support a, a boycott at that store for a particular reason. Like, you know, support workers on strike. Don't shop at this store right now. We're trying to get this boss who's abusive held accountable. Um, and that can be pretty effective. A lot of folks respond pretty, pretty well. That There's a lot of people who are just like Karens and don't care. And it's all about convenience. And if you're inconveniencing them, they're, you know, they're going to flip out. Yep. Um, but it's also, you know, it's also kind of fun to be in that situation where you can just challenge them on it and know you're not going to get in trouble uh, as long as you're not, you know, like doing anything that would technically be illegal, you know, then you don't lose your protections. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a lot of this stuff is just kind of foreign to, to folks. Generally, it doesn't happen, uh, especially in retail. There's not a lot of organizing happening. There's not a lot of strike activity happening. Um, it's very low union density industry. Um, just like the service sector in general, very high turnover. Um, and there's only like, only like maybe UFCW is about the union. The only union I can think of that would actually have representation in some of these places. And it's, it's very few and far between, um, maybe SEIU, but, um, yeah, we've been independent from from all them. The like, there's a reason I've gone through the IWW for a lot of this stuff. I, I share the criticisms that they have of the bigger unions, uh, tending to be sort of the stereotypes that the you know corporations um, sell them as when they do their anti-union speeches about you know third parties coming in, taking your money, uh, not really doing much for you, adding more bureaucracy. Um, a lot of that can tend to be true, you know, in these unions. And um, even though we're seeing the whole striketober um, or strikes giving now, I think is what they're calling it, going into November, um, you still see even within the uptick in strike activity that there's a um, very strong uh, struggle between the rank and file uh, union members of these unions and then the union leadership. Uh, locally where we were at, we had um, a big strike with uh, Volvo, uh, Volvo Trucks, and UAW. Um, the UAW local president uh, consistently kept trying to undermine the strike and, and getting it to end as quickly as possible and, and trying to push um, crappy deals onto the rank and file, and the rank and file kept voting it down and, and – um, it was just like known even before the strike happened that there was like the, the union leadership tends to be closer to the management of these companies and, and, you know, viewing them as friends rather than as adversaries, you know, and that's why the IWW uses the term business unionism a lot of the times to describe 
the character of these mainstream unions, you know, that uh, they they don't really believe in this idea of like class struggle or like, you know, the workers and, and the bosses are entirely at odds with one another, um, economically speaking. Like they don't share the same interests, right? Like uh, workers want to get as much as we can for as little work as possible. Bosses want to get as much work from you as possible for as little pay as possible. Uh, and those two those two uh, things conflict, right? There's an antagonism there. Um, IWW like makes it very clear that, that there's a recognition of that antagonism. There's a few other unions out there that do that too, like uh, UNI. They have a pamphlet out now called Them and Us Unionism, which making the uh, same kind of argument. But generally, uh, most of the unions don't, um, they don't want to have that recognition, right? They think the success of the corporation is to the benefit of the workers and that the success of the corporation means success for workers. Um, but obviously, it's it's sort of like the idea of trickle-down economics, right? Like, oh, if, well, if the rich are doing well, then we'll all do well because they'll let the wealth trickle down, right? But really... That's not, you know, you that hasn't that, worked yet. Yeah, it just trickles up, right? Like it just stays, they just concentrate at the top. And uh, that's maybe one of the good things about the labor shortage, right, is uh, it's forced the employers, although not that much, to have to like concede and try to offer more pay, more benefits, right? Um, Target is very good about uh, making it seem like they're offering something more when they really offer just kind of the bare minimum. You know, um, they've announced how they're going to like give free college tuition for all uh, workers who want it. And, and uh, this is coming off of like Walmart making a similar announcement or Amazon making a similar announcement. Um, but then they don't tell you like the details, you know, like, well, it's only select degrees. It's at this like one online university. Um, and it's all things that would, you know, it's going to benefit target as a corporation. Like if they're thinking about training up their workforce, right. It's not like they're, Saying, oh, yeah, you can, we're going to pay for you to get a degree in anthropology, you know, wherever you want to go, right? Right. Um, it's just, like, very limited in what they offer. Um, but, yeah, so even though, like, the labor shortage has forced the employers to sort of have to offer more, they're still, like, not offering enough, clearly, to entice enough people in to stop the labor shortage, right? Right. Um, like, if they offered more pay, they offered more benefits at a certain point, uh, the supply is going to match the demand. Um, but it just remains like a lot of the employers still aren't, aren't offering an, an enticing wage or benefits uh, to get workers to come back to work these jobs. Um, and that's true at Target as well. Speaking of, um, speaking of that, um, so kind of going into like the timeline of, you know, when you really started, you know, popping into the press and whatnot, um, there was an article in CNBC in May, of 2020 and you had said that hourly wage workers have been forced to make an impossible choice during the coronavirus pandemic skip their paycheck or risk getting sick having said that have you seen any change in that regarding target specifically no you know it's still the same dynamic it was that's that was the norm before the pandemic too right like there's no paid sick leave. It's not mandated. It's not guaranteed. You, uh, for Target, you know, you have to be basically full time to qualify for that. And we got a guy who's been there for since the store even opened in our area like 22 years ago, and he still doesn't have any paid sick leave. He has vacation, but he has no paid sick leave. Um, so, I mean, the fact that that's the norm, that's the standard. You're you're telling people, yeah, you have to choose between making money or getting sick or like coming in sick and potentially spreading your sickness to other people. Right. Um, I think about that all the time, like how I can't afford to miss a single shift. You know, I have to work every single shift that I'm scheduled to be able to stay afloat and meet all my costs of living, my bills and, and all that. Um, and yeah, like I don't feel like I have any real breathing room from, from, uh, working during this pandemic, I've, I've asked my coworkers a lot, you know, from the start of the pandemic to now, like, do people feel like they're better off financially? And I think a lot of people still have resentment that there were, um, a lot of folks out there who were able to, you know, um, get unemployment and were making more money on unemployment than we were working, you know, close to full time during the whole pandemic. 
and uh, nothing against the people who got the unemployment. I'm glad they did, and uh, I wish that was like uh, available to everybody, even even right now. Um, but the point being is we're just not compensated enough as so-called like essential workers, um, and that hasn't changed at all. And, and uh, I think we we all are still, you know, having to make that choice of like, you know, not wanting to go in to risk exposure, but. Um, still having to go in to make the money and to pay the bills because there's no one coming to to cover that for you, you know? Right. Um, all right. When Target was made aware of like the efforts in your store and whatnot, were there any kind of methods that they tried to use to kind of quote unquote quell the organization? Uh, well, when we first did um, an action at my store back in 2017, they were very confused about what our intentions were. Um, you know, I, they thought that we were like sent in by unions and this was like some sort of a, you know, backdoor way of trying to unionize. Uh, so then they tried to run an anti-union campaign, which was funny because like we weren't uh, trying to unionize. That wasn't our goal. Um, and like, even though we did have support from some of the local unions on our picket line, um, you know, having local union members from from around the area, from Volvo, from from Kroger with UFCW, um, they just assumed by extension we had to be like plants from one of these unions sent in to do this, and we're trying to unionize. So then they they try to uh, run the anti-union campaigns, doing uh, what they call captive audience meetings, where um, all the workers are forced to sit in. Um, and have these meetings where they just tell you, you know, like basically try to intimidate workers to think like if they vote in a union, they're going to close the store down. You're going to lose your job. You don't want a union to come in that, you know, like I was saying earlier about the stereotypes when they run into union campaigns, you know, like oh, a third party comes in, takes your money, doesn't give you anything in return, uh, more bureaucracy, et cetera, et cetera. So they try to do that. Um, they, they try to like slander us and like defame our character and like would look at comments that were happening on social or social media pages. Um, we did updates on the strike and stuff. Um, cause there were some workers in, in the store who were like hostile, what we were doing and they would like make it a point of trying to troll, um, like the updates we were providing on social media. Um, but the managers were like reading all these comments and then they would read them back to the workers to try to make it seem like we were like they were trying to say how we were like silencing and censoring and deleting um, target workers comments on, on these things, even though we were target workers. Um, they were just like really trying to go after our, our character and referred to us as the strikers. Um, but I think they understood at a certain point, like, like we weren't part of any union and we weren't trying to run a union election campaign. Um, and, and to me, it was more so about, like, could we exercise our rights to organize outside of the context of having a formal union? And could we demonstrate that successfully to other workers who otherwise have, you know, no experience uh, doing this sort of a thing, right? Like, not even the union people in our area knew that workers who are not in a union had a right to strike. You know, they, they, they only had a frame of reference of labor law within the context of a union already established in a workplace. So they hadn't no real familiarity with what we were doing in terms of being non-union workers, organizing a strike action, uh, forming like an informal workers committee uh, and putting forward some demands and, and stuff like that. Like a, a lot of folks are just not used to that idea. It, even the the anti-union companies they have out there that, that get contracted by someone like Target or Walmart when they try to run union campaigns, they, they're very used to this um, formula that's just become the standard now when when unions try to come in and organize somewhere, what they do is they'll get 30% of the workers at a workplace to sign uh, authorization cards, meaning that, uh, that the union can be the official bargaining agent for those workers at that particular workplace. Mm-hmm. Then they send those cards to the NLRB, the National Labor Relations Board, which enforces the National Labor Relations Act. The board certifies all the signatures, triggers an NLRB election. And then that's when they would actually finally vote in to have a union. Uh, and then, you know, whether or not they win the vote, then it goes to a process of trying to negotiate the first contract. 
so this is like the process and the procedure that all the mainstream unions go through, how the corporations respond to any kind of organizing effort. Uh, so when you don't follow that formula or that model, they don't really know how to respond to what you're doing. That's why they ran an anti-union campaign in response to what we did to hold this abusive boss accountable because uh, they they thought, well, if, if uh, you know someone's going to put in this effort and do all this, it's clearly to have a unionization campaign, right? Like we must be sent by the UFCW, must be a paid organizer to do this, right? Um, but we made it, you know, we're very, very um, careful to not give any control over to any of the unions that were in our area um, and not let them dictate what we were going to do. It was very clear, like, telling them, like, here's what we're going to do. If you want to be there to support us, great. If not, that's fine, too. So you really kind of threw a curveball toward it all because it was so, you know, grassroots from the ground up. It didn't fit any kind of model they could attack. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, I attribute that again to the uh, IWW uh, organizer training. Um, You know, that's that's the orientation you get when you go through the, the training is, like it's up to you and your coworkers to get anything done to address the issues you're having in your workplace. Um, it's not up to some third party business union to come in and tell you how to do that. You don't need to rely on them to tell you what to do. Granted, I know they got resources and lawyers and all this other stuff, but they have a very particular way of doing things. And, and a lot of times like you as the worker don't really have much agency or control and, what's done during all that. And that's been a lot of the struggle that, you know, these rank and file workers in these unions have been having with their leaderships uh, during all these strikes that have been happening, you know, as leadership tries to force a bad contract on these workers and they keep having to vote it down. And, and at a certain point, you know, workers just get tired because it's hard maintaining a strike in the picket line. Like you have a reduction in, in uh, wages, you know, the strike fund is not going to match um, what you would normally get in, be getting paid if you were actually working and not on strike. Um, so it's a good way to just like starve people out. You know, if, uh, if the strike fund is, is not matching what normal pay rate would be. Um, and the leadership is constantly like trying to find ways to force terms on you that you, you know, you may not want, but you know, it's just hard having to keep fighting that off. Um, so yeah, we weren't operating like that. That's intentional. Um, and, yeah, so after that happened, I definitely got pretty irritated. Um, there was like several what they call unfair labor practice uh, charges or unfair labor practices uh, by management towards me and other workers who are participating in this. Um, the management can't legally give you the impression that you're – they can't like threaten you. They can't interrogate you. They can't make promises or spy on you in relation to you exercising your rights to organize. Um, so like threaten, they can't give you the impression that you're going to get in trouble if you don't do something they don't want you to do. Like we are standing near that store entrances, right? Like trying to let customers know about, Hey, here's this, we have these giant sandwich boards on us. Right. And it has the, the picture of the, the boss, the, it has his face and his name. Like we said, fire Daniel Butler with his face on it. You know, and we're making the case like this guy's an abuser. We need him out of here. Uh, you know, we're, we're engaging customers coming into the store over it, and uh, management obviously didn't like it, right? So they're trying to discourage us from, from doing what we were legally allowed to do. Um, but they came out and told us, like, you you need to get away from the store entrances. Um, if you don't, you know, we're going to have to inform corporate, right? Uh, that's them making this vague threat that we're going to get in trouble if we don't listen to what they're doing. So that's one unfair labor practice that they engaged in. Uh, another time was I was trying to invite coworkers to the labor rights meetings, you know, just um, talking to them and passing when I'm on the sales floor um, and letting them know about this event coming up, you know, just want people to know about these, you know, what, what's labor rights and, and uh, what management can and cannot do legally and how do you defend yourself, all this sort of stuff that people generally are not uh, familiar with. Um, but one worker who is very, pro management decided to like narc on me essentially and told management that I was like inviting workers to these meetings. Right. Um, so then management decided to pull me in the office and start asking me questions about it and like telling me I can't do it, that I'm soliciting, but that was technically a violation and unfair labor practice as well. Um, cause 
it gets a little technical in terms of what constitutes solicitation and what doesn't. Like, I wasn't physically handing out a piece of paper to someone, like a flyer or anything like that. I was just like talking to someone um, and and having a discussion with them. Uh, and as long as you know your boss, this is all in the private sector, by the way, not like public sector. There is a little bit different laws, um, but as long as uh, your bosses aren't restricting your speech, you know, if you're talking about other non-work things like sports or whatever, they can't restrict your speech when uh, you're, you're talking about like organizing or workplace conditions or wages or anything, you know? Um, And, and they can't like, they can't like give you the impression you're not allowed to do that. Right. Um, So anyways, yeah, they, they, uh, pull me in the office, start giving me the impression I'm not allowed to do this, right? That's an unfair labor practice charge. Uh, so there were like several instances of, of this happening not long after they, they did like the captive audience meetings and trying to like defame us for our strike action and all that stuff. Um, and so we just filed the charges with the National Labor Relations Board. They do an investigation. Um, with that stuff, like it's there's not that much of a penalty behind it. Um, I mean, it costs the corporation a bunch of money because they have to hire um, law firms to handle these investigations and process it and all that stuff. But in terms of like if there's financial penalties or anything like that, uh, there's not really any of that. Uh, Even if there's merit found to the unfair labor practice, uh, what basically what ends up happening is you get a settlement and it gets posted in the workplace that says, you know, the, the company will no longer violate your rights in these particular instances or ways that these, you know, your rights were violated. Um, and so that's, that's the, about the extent of what they do. Um, it's good, I think, to have it on like the public record that the company does violate our labor rights, uh, especially a company like Target that takes so much um, effort into being seen as a progressive woke employer um but yeah the the law itself and nlrb does not have much power to like you know penalize the companies from violating your rights to organize but that doesn't mean you can't organize uh and you know like i I think a lot of a lot of what we've been trying to do here is is show people that you can do this and you're not just going to get fired and you can't have any kind of success doing this. You know, like people tend to think like, uh, you're never going to win, uh, trying to organize a fortune 500 company like this. We'll just fire you and just get rid of you. Uh, the laws aren't, aren't like won't protect you, blah, blah, blah. And while there's like some truth to, to those ideas, like, I always just like to point to what we've been doing these last several years. Like I don't consider myself an exceptional individual, right? Like uh, the most education I have is a high school diploma. Um, but like you still can utilize what rights we do have to organize and use them in a strategic way to get things done. Um, and maybe target is a particular instance where we get more leniency on this sort of uh thing of you know not having to worry about getting retaliated on or not than other employers again largely because i think target does want to be seen as this very progressive company that do, that is not hostile to its employers um and, and is woke or whatever um as far but, as far as that goes that that yeah. thing with target uh, so I want, I want to get your opinion on this because you know, sure. I, I saw where, you know, you started getting some press and stuff, you know, pretty hardcore in the pandemic around, you know, you know, May of 2020. All right. And then I found, yeah. I found this article today um, from February of 2021. And I want to see if you agree with this statement. Uh, it was from a, a, a HR drive. <clears throat> and it said Target mm-hmm. Target said it has recently worked to demonstrate gratitude to employees various ways. In July, it raised the minimum wage to $15 an hour, waived attendance policies for COVID-related illness, free access to virtual health care, and free backup care. Do you feel this would have happened without the threat of organizing? Um. You know, I don't want us to take credit for something that it seems kind of dubious if we could take credit for it or not. I do think we've had a role, you know. I think we were a certain pressure, um, applying a certain amount of pressure that 
that maybe have helped get us certain concessions that we wouldn't have got otherwise. I definitely think a lot of the credit just goes to the pandemic, you know, and um, uh, and maybe the fear of like workers, like if they don't offer enough, that workers would just revolt or they'll just leave. You know, I think I think a lot of Americans. Uh, capacity for resistance these days is, is more like a passive resistance like with the the great resignation it's it's not so much this point where American workers are ready to do a general strike where we all go on strike and shut everything down and, and take over whole metropolises or whatever it's more so like uh, we just are going to refuse to to work um, and do some sort of passive resistance like that Um so I think that's that's the force targets contending with, and, and I don't think I think we're relatively small, but I do think we we punch above our weight, um, and I and I think like even just the, the most recent uh, thing with holiday pay uh, and the wage increases, the uh, raises, I think some of that can be attributed to our hazard pay uh, campaign we've been pushing the last few months to try to get a two dollar hazard pay instituted. Um, you know, just universally across all target jobs. Um, we sort of have now gotten there with the, like my store, they just announced we are bumped to 1625 from 15. Um, and then we get the holiday pay, which granted it's only on the weekends, but it's an additional two on the weekends, like during this fourth quarter period. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think we necessarily would have got gotten any of those things if it wasn't for us like agitating around that um and i think we could do a lot more if we just had a little bit more formal organization and a little bit more buy-in from workers but i think it's just what we're asking people to do is still pretty foreign and unfamiliar and uncomfortable you know because i think people generally want the path of least resistance and uh, which is why I say, like, I think American workers proclivity now is more so a passive resistance rather than an active one. Um, you know, going on a strike is a very active form of resistance. Um, and most workers have never been on strike in their lives. It's one thing I found out when we organized some of the ones at these different stores. There was like a 65 year old black man and um you know, Baltimore has has a very strong like labor history there. Um, but this guy, you know, 65 year old black man had never been on a strike before in his entire life. And I, I think that is kind of, uh, just speaks to where a lot of workers experiences are and mindset. And, um, I think now with the pandemic and everything, people are maybe more receptive to that idea, but like they haven't really had the experience with it. And the only people who really have are already in the established unions, but then they're having to contend with this whole other beast of, you know, what I've already sort of touched on is, you know, the, how the leadership of these unions oftentimes will collaborate with the bosses to push bad contracts on the workers. And then the workers have to struggle against not just their bosses, but also against the union officials. Right. Um, you know, and so then there's that aspect of it. Um, whereas where we're coming from right now, it's like there isn't that uh labor bureaucracy we got to deal with now it's more so like we got to deal with a bunch of workers who don't necessarily see the importance or necessity of like organizing um and taking action and and having that kind of orientation or approach to things it's just not it's not a cultural standard it's not a norm it's not something people are educated on most people don't even know that the NLRB exists or the NLRA exists or what what that means, you know, people have a lot of um, co- quote unquote common sense notions about like right to work uh, laws or, or at will employment laws. A lot of times you hear that thrown around um, to mean like, well, you don't have the right to strike or the right to organize. Your boss can just get rid of you at any time for any reason. Um, and so there's just this very strong kind of defeatist mentality. I think a lot of workers have when it comes to all this stuff. And it's not to say again, like, yeah, the laws are not that favorable for workers, but we still have the right to strike and the right to organize. Um, and, and a lot of the reason that hasn't been employed uh, within organized labor is because the unions have actually signed away those rights a lot of times in these contracts. Uh, they sign no strike clauses. Um, so for the length of a you know four, five, several year long contract, the workers 
are not legally allowed to strike. They'll, you know, they could be fired and kicked out by their union if they try to. It's what a wildcat strike is, is when the workers decide to strike anyways against uh, the union and the company. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, it's just like trying to wage a kind of a cultural battle in a lot of ways with workers to get them to understand why it's important to do this. Um, but the pandemic, I definitely think, has helped, like, kind of open up a door in a lot of ways to to make that argument for workers. Um, it just needs to be done a lot more thoroughly and a lot more comprehensively, I think, by people who are, like, trying to organize. So that's, you know, one of the things we're trying to do. Um, but we just got to get our act together a little bit more to have more of an impact. Gotcha. Uh, going back to the whole target, uh, the holiday pay bump. Uh, can you clarify? Yeah. Can you clarify to me because they had this whole thing on CNBC in October talking about this mess, and it says that um, it runs from November twentieth to December nineteenth, and like you said, only includes weekends, Christmas Eve, and the day after Christmas. But it also says supply chain uh, employees, and I assume that's that means like receiving and stock crews because the way they put it in the article was opening boxes and getting product to the shelves. And that that was um, for two week periods between October 10th and December 18th. And there were no specifics reported for that at all. And um, also before we clarify that, and I'd said this online. So just for you guys watching, if you haven't been following this target said this article, um, the big box retailer previously said it would scale back holiday hiring and give more hours to its staff. And I would just like to say that sounds like a really good cover for the fact they can't hire anybody and they're going to increase the workload on their current staff. Adam, your thoughts. No, that's definitely what it is. Um, like uh, I think we've alluded to before target is really good about spinning these sorts of things. Um, like just taking the reality that there's a labor shortage, right? Because the job isn't enticing to bring enough people in, uh, and somehow turning it into a positive, right? Spinning it into a positive that oh yeah, we can't offer enough pay and benefits to entice people to come in, uh, but that just means we'll offer overtime for the current workers. Uh, so yeah, we'll get worked harder. Um, and that was. Uh, I mean, that was, that was the struggle even before the pandemic. They started trying to roll out this process called modernization, which was all about trying to increase uh, productivity per worker, making each worker more responsible for uh, many different tasks around the store and shaking up the, the whole um, design and structure of, of the, the, the workflow and everything like that. Oh, you mean increase um, workload I, with no pay? Yeah, well, you know, but no, but they would say, well, yeah, we're we're increasing the pay, right? Because uh, they they had this thing called Pathway to Fifteen. When I first got hired on in two thousand seventeen, they made the announcement they're going to bump our pay to fifteen by twenty twenty, right? Um, but then, you know, conveniently the pandemic happens, and then Target says, well, actually, uh, we're going to call that hazard pay the fifteen, even though we promised that three years ago. Um, and, you know, they've been riding that one for a while saying like, oh, yeah, we offer competitive competitive pay. We offer 15. We were the, one of the first to announce the pathway to 15 or whatever, even, you know, but then they say it's hazard pay at the same time. That was that was another big point of frustration for us is, is like claiming they were offering more pay than they really weren't. Um, but now with the labor shortage and, and inflation and all that stuff, and I think a little bit of a pressure campaign from calling for an actual two $2 additional hazard pay. Uh, we now got a lot of, um, we got that holiday pay and then we got a raise and they've been, I, they've been, there's variations of raises from store to store and region to region. I've heard $2 pay bumps at some stores in the cities. We got a dollar, dollar 25 pay bump at our store. Um, but they all are getting that $2 holiday pay. And I think that goes to the distribution centers too. So when they're saying supply chain workers, I believe they're referring to the distribution centers um, beyond just the stores. Um, With your knowledge and, of the, of the labor issues, I mean like how labor law works and stuff like that. I'm curious, do you, in your location, I'm sure have there been instances of where they've hired in new hires at a higher rate of pay 
than people that are already there? And how have you as a group approached trying to rectify that and getting a a proportional bump? We haven't had much success on that issue. We know it's an issue because a lot of the older workers who've been there for 10, 20 years always feel salty about the fact there's these people coming straight in off the streets, getting the same pay as they have, even though they've been there five, 10 years, you know, they definitely don't feel that their uh, experience and knowledge is valued when, when that happens. Um, I think generally though, as a principle, it's good to have kind of a, a flat pay rate where you have the highest wage possible for everybody rather than creating a tiered system. Um, you know, there, there should be some sort of a compensation, some sort of seniority pay. Um, we get, we get that demand uh, a lot from the older veteran workers. You know, if you look at our, on our website, we have this target worker platform. That's one of the things that's incorporated in there is this, uh, demand for a seniority pay. Uh, but I also think it's important to understand that you don't want to create tiered wage systems either, because, um, you could see how that's been used, uh, by these companies largely in these already organized unionized workplaces as a way to create division between the workers, between older workers and newer workers. Um, cause you end up with, newer workers who will never get the same pay or benefits as the older workers. The older workers get phased out at a higher pay and compensation. Um, well, the newer workers will never be able to get that. And, and so the effect that has is it, you know, causes the newer workers, younger workers to feel salty towards the older workers and, um, you know, feeling like, well, why is this person who's doing, doing the same job beside me getting paid $5 more than me? And I'm never going to get that same level of pay and compensation. It really undermines solidarity amongst workers on the job. So a lot of what's actually been happening with these strike actions this year has been fighting against the two-tier wage system where they're trying to say, well, we don't actually want um, a two-tier wage system. We want, we want, you know, younger workers to be able to get the same level of pay and benefits as the older workers. Um, but at the same time, having a certain seniority pay or compensation in there for the older workers who are already there, um, so that's something, you know, we want to make headway on, but haven't been able to do much with that. A lot of a lot of our efforts these last year or two has just been so focused on COVID and safety um, and PPE and, and stuff like that. Um, a lot of workers, I think, have sort of moved beyond the pandemic and, and don't think it's that big of a deal anymore. Um, I think they feel more so reminded of it because we have to wear masks working our shifts and it's just seen as like a hindrance or an annoyance or an inconvenience for a lot of workers. Although I think it's worth wearing the masks. Um, and I think folks just feel like they're ready to move and get, go, you know, get this beyond themselves, right? Like put this behind us, even though like it's not that easy. Right. Right. Um, that's just, I think that's where a lot of worker sentiments are for better or worse. Um, and, uh, so, yeah, I mean, we, we have that target worker platform, and that, that's a lot of what we'll go back to, to to try to push for, you know, better jobs, better compensation, whatever, or at, at Target in general. Uh, but I think a lot of these issues with the pandemic and everything are, are still going to be affecting us for, for a while right? Uh, and still be relevant. Got a comment so, in the chat that I think is worth discussing here. Uh, Alki, who is next week's guest. Um, he said new hires get paid two to three dollars more than worker who workers who's been at my employer for five years. No one knew until they started talking about their wages and speaking and talking about wages in your experience and whatnot. Is there any legal grounds whatsoever for an employer to terminate employees for discussing their pay? Uh, the strongest case that I've heard of is employers trying to get their workers to sign non-disclosure agreements, NDAs saying that they're not going to discuss those things. But I've, I know that that's been successfully challenged under the banner of the national labor relations act as well. It's just, you know, when you, when you start relying on that particular law, you have to do certain things to qualify uh, for it to apply, right? Like you have to, you can't just complain about things, right? Uh, this, the definition of 
uh, what's called protected concerted activity is the term you'll hear a lot um, in reference to all this. The definition of that was more broadly applied before Trump came in and and uh, installed the labor board that he wanted. Um, after he came in, uh, there were some decisions that the Trump labor board made that narrowed that how broadly that term can be applied. Like before the Trump board, it sort of could be argued that just complaining was considered protected concerted activity, like an act of organizing. But now you have to be a little more explicit in it. Like you can't just complain or gripe. You have to be um, like putting forward some sort of a demand. You have to be making it clear that you're like organizing with your coworkers, acting on their behalf. You can't just be doing it on your behalf as an individual um, so I, I just say these things like if you're going to start doing it, you want to know how to make a solid legal case because even if you know your rights and you're going by the book, that doesn't mean your your boss knows them or cares to follow them, at least initially. So they still may violate your rights, okay, and you may get fired, but you could at least go and make your case with the NLRB uh, that you were wrongfully terminated for exercising your rights – uh, so long as you've executed them properly. And this is actually where the NLRB has the most powers. They can actually determine that your termination was wrong or incorrect or illegal and mandate to that employer that you get your job back and you get back pay from the date of the wrongful termination to the date of the ruling, which usually takes several months. Uh, it's not it doesn't it's not that long of a process, but it also can drag out, you know. Um, unfortunately, a lot of times workers can't just wait around for several months to get back pay from when they were wrongfully terminated. They move on and get another job. So when the NLRB makes their decision and says, yeah, you can have your job back and here's the back pay, they've already gotten another job. So they don't want to go back to that that job, right? Um, unless they're just like a really dedicated organizer and, want, and they want to keep organizing it, right? Most workers are just going to move on because uh, that's just kind of the American worker mentality at this point is – you don't like it quit right uh, in in um, relation to the nlrb yeah. um target yeah. and 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 i'm just curious how does the nlrb handle situations where companies as a condition of um, employment ask you to sign an arbitration agreement and did target have an arbitration agreement um uh, i'm I don't remember ever having to sign any any sort of arbitration agreement. I'm sure the higher up you go in the company, there's probably more that stipulates that sort of a thing. Um, but then you also probably don't have protection. Like you're less likely to have protection or be qualified as, as protected under the NLRA as well. Uh, but the company can try to set all sorts of terms um, that they want, but the NLRB still gets to, they have to like go through and decipher, like, are those terms in violation of the non, uh, national labor relations act? You know, you'll, you'll see this happen a lot of times with how they classify certain workers as management versus non-management. A lot of times there's a gray area there where they want people to be seen as management or a supervisor, but they're actually not. Um, and so they'll, you know, like, at Target, you know, for instance, they come up with these terms called team leads, which are supposed to be people who usually are managers or in the management team. But they have actually a few positions at our store where they call certain positions team leads, but they're not management, right? Um, but that's up to the NLRB to have to, like, go through how how is the company classifying this and, and what, like, guidelines does the NLRB have to determine, like, you know, is this policy in violation of the NLRA or not? That happens you know, it's not that uncommon to happen. Target actually had to revise its employee handbook because it was given the impression that workers weren't allowed to organize in, in one ver version of their ham employee handbook. Um, in terms of like arbitration, that's the only thing I could really think of is like they have it very s clearly spelt out in their employee handbook. Like what is the process for being disciplined and legally terminated from Target? Uh, they have to make that clear to employees to know um, and they can't like violate their own process in that right um which you know that's that's one of the things we check in with workers too when they want to organize is is like you got to know do you have any infractions on your record like for target it says uh they can terminate you if you've had three infractions on your record within a 12-month period 
the, that's the policy. They made that known. That's the employee handbook. They're not like hiding that from you. They're, they that also means they can't circumvent that policy either. They can't just arbitrarily make up a new policy and decide that they're going to apply it. Like they have to stick to that. If they don't stick to it, then you have legal grounds to say, well, you're violating your own arbitration process, right? Right. Um, but that gives you some, you know, like. For me, for instance, they tried to discipline me once when I tried to invite a coworker to a labor rights event. Uh, but because I argued that that was an unfair labor practice, that they were even considering that, um, that was expunged from my record. And I've had no infractions on my record ever since I've been there for four years. Uh, and I know that's hard for people to maintain. But when you're organizing, it's like you got to just be a model worker and do your job and be on time. Because if you can give them a legal ground to discipline you and terminate you then you can't argue well this is because i was organizing it's just like no you were late and you were a bad worker and they can legally get rid of you for for those things right um versus like you know they can't say well we're firing you because you said you wanted to organize coworkers for a higher wage like that would be blatantly uh, illegal for them to do um but if again if you're like consistently late and you're not doing your job you're, you know, you're not meeting the, the terms that you've agreed to being hired at the job, right? Um, like they can legally discipline you and legally terminate you based on the arbitration process that they've already gone through with you, right? Yep. Um, so that's why you got to know, you got to know that stuff. And a lot of people just kind of like, just, you know, they don't, they're not really paying attention to it, right? Um, and a lot of people don't want to pay attention, this level of detail to their jobs and, and the legality of it all either, and I get it, but it really helps that you have this mindset that you're constantly building your legal case when you're when you're at work. Um, I know for me, it makes me a little bit neurotic because I'm constantly uh, thinking like, am I being watched? You know, what's being recorded? Um, having to watch my demeanor, my behavior. You know, like constantly worrying about all these things. Um, and yeah, but you know. Like that's just that's just the reality of like if you want to organize as a worker in this country, that's just what you got to do. Yeah, um, for better or worse. So I got to say, this has been absolutely fascinating and extremely enlightening. Um, I really do appreciate you being here. There was something that was in the chat early on that I haven't had a chance to get to yet uh, for you. Uh, Mariah Karen says, "I have to say thank you for showing everybody that it can be done with proper planning and work." Um, I think that, you know, what you guys have done, you know, like you said, not having like official union affiliation and whatnot, you know, every little stride that you make is important because you're doing it on your own. And I, I think that is something to damn well be proud of. That's for sure. Um, the one thing I want to do before we go, though, if there is one thing, one message you can give to anybody that's watching now or that's going to be listening later, you know, about you know, organizing a workforce, what would you want their one takeaway to be? You know, don't be afraid to do it, especially now uh, with the labor shortage. Um, this is like the best time to be trying to, to put demands out there and, and win them. Um, reach out to the IWW to get organizer training if you want to get yourself prepared. Um but you're not going to know how to do it until you actually go out and try and do it. And, and just, you know, don't be afraid to take risks. Now in the future, you know, if you guys are needing funding and whatnot, uh, do people go to the target workers unite web website? Is that where any information will be? Yeah, you can go there. Uh, Twitter. We probably tend to keep the most up to date. Uh, we do have a general strike fund going right now. There had been talks of potentially doing something going into this fourth quarter. Um, so we want to be prepared if, if we do, you know, every time we've done any sort of strike action, we've always made sure to compensate any workers, uh, their lost wages as a result of going on strike. Um, and we want to keep that as a standard. Um, so any help in donating to our general strike fund would, would, you know, go towards that end and be greatly appreciated. Awesome. Well, Adam, I hope you had a good time. This is great. 
Uh, like I said, this has been a fascinating conversation because, you know, being in the Southeast, you know, that's why tonight and then Wednesday as well is going to be kind of important to a bunch of us Southerners because we, we don't have a lot of this education down here. We don't hear a lot about this. And, you know, it's about as anti-union organization com- country as there can be. <laughs> so thank you for your insight. You obviously, you know, you know what you're talking about and you're doing a really, really good thing for your people. Right on. Thanks uh, for having us on here. I hope I wasn't uh, getting too buried in the details for y'all. No, I I enjoyed it. I I loved it. Like I said, it's fascinating. We don't, my only experience with organizing and strikes is my father worked for Bell South, you know, telecommunications. Um, And, you know, they were union. And I remember a couple of times, you know, that he went on strike and, you know, that was a situation where, you know, he had to run out and get like a job at a warehouse just so he had, you know, money coming in to make sure he didn't violate the strike. So that's my only familiarity with it. And that only happened, I think, twice in my lifetime. And, you know, I'm 51. So that's been a long time ago. So, um, you know, all this kind of information is great for all of us that don't don't get to be around it or witness it or just see it on the news or whatnot. So, but once again, thank you for being here. Um, If you guys have something big coming up soon or whatnot, let me know and we'll give you another night where you're just dedicated. You know, we'll dedicate it to that, you know, whatever you guys need. So, but, you know, like I said, thank you for being here. Sure. Have a good night. You as well, everybody. Um, The podcast audio will be up you know probably sometime around 11 30 or whatnot um it'll be there and then wednesday night we'll have alki on and we'll have some more union talk and it's going to be kind of cool so everybody thanks for showing up and thanks for your support and we will see you guys next time